This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at leno.com slash ifreaks. Good day and welcome to iFreaks. The iFreaks show is a weekly group discussion about Apple tools, practices, and code. I'm Erica Sedun saying hi from Denver. And Guy? Hi, I'm Guy saying hi from Brazil. And today we're going to talk about what it takes to build, develop an app, sell it, market it, and bring it into the real world because we're going to talk about one of Guy's own projects. And Guy, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Chibi Studios and what it is and where it came from? Yeah, so the idea for it came when Apple introduced the iMessage App Store back in iOS 10. I was watching WWDC trying to get an idea for a new app and I immediately thought about how I kind of like the Japanese stuff, the anime culture, and how I have a friend that also likes that, and he's a really good illustrator. So I had this idea for an app where people would be able to build their own chibi, which are cute little characters, and they would be able to build them with their friends on iMessage, so I can start creating a little character with like, I can choose the hair and the eyes and mouth and you can choose the clothing. And that's, that was the original idea, but we ended, we ended up like making a real app as well, not just an iMessage app. Uh, and unfortunately, I'd say the iMessage app store didn't pick up as we thought it would. And the standalone app is used a lot more than the iMessage app, but that's the basic idea. Before we get into the app itself, what happened to the iChat um, development? Because I know everybody was starting to make stickers and they thought that here was an enormous opportunity for business development. What happened? I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that didn't really explode in popularity, I guess. Uh, iMessage has a lot of usage, but I'm not sure why the apps themselves are not used that much. Maybe the apps, the iMessage app store is a little too hidden and they kind of tried to make it more evident in iOS 11. But I think it's just something that people aren't really interested in maybe. It's not that it's completely dead. We have usage from iMessage. We, we have stats that show us that people do use it on iMessage, but that's not the main use for the app. And I am sure there are apps that get more usage out of iMessage. And there are some limitations as well. Uh, I can't name 
any specific ones, but the especially in the beginning, the iMessage app framework that he used to integrate with iMessage was a little clunky and didn't really work very well, was buggy. I think that also made so that not many apps were released from the start and it probably also made the iMessage App Store not pick up as Apple hoped it would. Do you think this is something that can be improved upon, that we might see some tools and a better storefront approach with the upcoming WWDC? Yeah, I'm sure they can improve it with maybe more capabilities for the apps. Uh, one biggie is that you can't really handle like when we talked about CloudKit in a previous episode, you have all of that system of notifications that you can be notified when the backend changes and when your data changes remotely. And that doesn't really work on the iMessage extension context. So I had to find a workaround for that. Um, those types of things need to be improved for it to work better and maybe discoverability, which is a problem in the regular App Store as well. Maybe that's a thing that could be improved. Discoverability is really changed recently now that iTunes has distanced itself from the App Store. And that's been a pretty big change for a lot of developers who are trying to make their apps known and discoverable. In fact, when I type GB Studio into Safari, it comes up with an app store preview, but right at the top of the page, it says, this app is only available on the app store for iOS devices. How do you feel about that? I think it's a bummer. I think people should be able to manage their apps natively from Mac as well. And we've been complaining for a long time that Apple is neglecting the Mac and every year we expect that it will change and it never really changes. And now they removed our ability to manage our apps natively. So that's really sad. Um, it doesn't have it, that big an impact on app sellers, but it definitely has an impact for users that use this workflow to manage their apps. Now, I noticed with Chibi Studio that it is a freemium app in which you download it for free and then you buy things in the app. And that is one of the two big models that seem to be most successful for App Store. So what made you go that way? From the start, we wanted an app that could be used for free, that didn't require you to pay to have fun with it. And we designed the app in a way that you have access to the free stuff really easily. And we don't really bug you to pay for stuff. The way we structured it is in packs of items. So we have, I think we're currently at around 2,000 items that you can choose from to build your characters and you can change colors and stuff. So the combinations are really endless. And around, I think, 500 of them are completely free. 
so you can use them without paying anything. You just install the app and use them. And we don't really push people to pay for stuff like some apps do where you pop-ups keep popping in your face asking you to pay. We don't really do that. Um, so we structured it in packs and we have specific themes like we have the Halloween pack with lots of items related to Halloween. And if you want to make Halloween themed chibis, you can purchase the pack and you get tens of items. And we have an in-app purchase that can unlock everything forever. So if you get that specific one, you get everything unlocked. And if we release a new pack after you bought it, you get that one as well. And we, we're always releasing new packs and including new free items. So the idea was that people would be able to have fun with the app and use it without having to necessarily pay for anything. Holiday theming is a really good approach to bring customers into the in-app purchase cycle because a holiday's there, it's very timely, and it allows your app to kind of expand into that holiday. What are some of the other packs? Are they more hobbyists? Most of them are related to specific themes that are not necessarily related to any specific activities. We have one that's a sports pack that we're working on. It's not released yet. And that's probably going to be more for people who are into fitness and sports. But we have, um, there's one that's called Anime Hair that has like hairstyles that remind you of anime characters. And we have, we have also, we, we also have some packs that are not, they are not paid. You don't have to pay for them, but they only show up during specific holiday seasons, like our Easter pack. It only shows up like two weeks before Easter and like five days after Easter, it goes away. So you can only use it for that period. And if you get that one in-app purchase that unlocks everything, you get access to those seasonal packs all year long. So that's another advantage. So we really try to balance the free content and holiday specials and paid stuff. We There's always um, a, a discussion that goes on on whether something should be, should be paid, should be seasonal, should be paid and seasonal. So that, that's something we're always thinking about. Another thing an app like this really brings to mind is the opportunities for corporate outreach. Has it ever occurred to you or have you ever explored the possibilities of going to major branding and having them sponsor packs so that people could dress up their little chibis using, for example, I don't know, some you know major fast food company or a sports brand or something like that? Is that an area you've explored? We have thought about that. We haven't done anything like in practice yet, but that's definitely an option for the future. We've been focusing on growing the app, making it more stable and sustainable uh, to then pursue those more advanced stuff. And 
one thing we, we thought about is about developing our own brand around the app. There are some things, some items in the app, and even the style of the drawings that's very particular to our app. And we think that's something we could potentially build a, a bigger brand around, maybe with merchandise and stuff. But there's nothing, we're not doing anything currently, but that, that's always an option. I know that some of the larger um, in-app purchase-driven game systems have definitely done you know, third-party branding. I'm thinking of Puzzles and Dragons, which is very big in Japan, not so big, I would imagine, in America or Europe. But they've done partnering with Disney. They've done partnering, I believe, with Marvel. And this notion that you can use an app as a marketing tool so that it pushes brands and gives more free content to end users is something that I see in the bigger named development community, but I don't really see it trickling down to the smaller development houses. And why do you think that is? I think probably because, first of all, the audience is not as big. Like some of those games you talked about, they have like many millions of active users we are at around 30,000 monthly active users currently so compared to those uh, games and big titles we're still very small and i think big brands are not very attracted to smaller audiences and also our audience is very specialized S some people just use the app because it's cool and they like it but most of our more passionate users are really into anime and, and chibi and all of that culture around it. So I think not every brand is necessarily interested in marketing to that group of people. And also there's the fact that some bigger titles, they have agencies that go out and, and find contracts for that stuff. And we're just two people and we're mostly focused on development and design so we don't have that much time and expertise and, and contacts to do those contracts. Mm -hmm. Now I mentioned before that there were two pathways to monetary success currently in the app store. The first one is the freemium model and you're following that but I wanted to ask you your thoughts on the second model which is the um, subscription model and specifically the subscription model with an introductory trial period, which is fairly new. Can you tell us about that? We have thought about that, especially after Apple changed the rules and allowed other types of apps. We thought that it actually makes sense. It would make sense for it to be a subscription. Let's say we want to make that big in-app purchase we have currently that unlocks everything that could definitely be a subscri subscription because you're getting new content pretty much every month. So it, mm -hmm. would, it would make sense for it to be a subscription. But we, we thought 
hard about it and we don't think it's the right thing for us at the moment and we think the other model is more interesting for us and for the users and there's also the fact that subscriptions make implementation more complicated and being a small team with just two people and only one developer which is me it would be harder to maintain the subscription infrastructure infrastructure that's necessary to actually do the subscriptions correctly and the biggest fear we have i think at least i have is that someone will pay for something and there's going to be some screw up in the implementation <laughs> oh. or the server and they won't get access to it. So we our implementation, even with our simple in-app purchases, it's mm -hmm. a very light implementation. We don't do a ton of copy protection because we want people to be able to enjoy the app as easily as possible, especially the ones that are paying for, for stuff. So we that that's like one of the big reasons why we don't do subscriptions currently. And we actually, we, our app is actually a hybrid because we don't only do the in-app purchases. We also have an option where you can watch an ad and you can get an item that's premium for free for watching an mm -hmm. ad. And we've thought about um, maybe we could improve our revenue by using ads, but we didn't want to use mm -hmm. ads in a nasty way like some apps do where you finish something in the app or you're going to do something and a full screen ad pops up and you right. don't have a choice. So there's a very specific workflow that you have to follow in the app. You have to tap a premium item, the little in-app star will open and you have to choose to watch an ad and get the item for free. So you're only going to see ads if you want to see them and you mm -hmm. get a freebie in return. And that model That's has kind been of working. a positive, uh, an opt-in almost approach to using ads. Precisely. We, like, we, we don't want our app to be one of those scammy apps that, that like, try to trick you into tapping an ad, we believe that if we do the right thing, people are going to end up using the app more. And, mm -hmm. and we want happy paying customers and not like customers that pay and then they figure out that they have been scammed and go away. That's not our model. So that's why we decided to try the opt-in ad model. The mm -hmm. initial like thought that came to mind was that we have some markets that use the app quite a bit, but they don't purchase much. Um, those are like China and Japan, um, I think India as well. We have lots of users, uh, even Brazil, and they don't really purchase a lot. So mm -hmm. we thought maybe we if we offered this other way of getting the paid content that still gives us some money and still gives people access to uh, premium items, we would get some revenue for those markets that don't have the in-app purchase culture. 
sort of speak. So that's what we decided to do. And it, it actually worked. And even when we started this project with the premium uh, watching ads to get premium stuff, we didn't start for ev all users. We did an A-B test because we wanted to see if that wouldn't like make so no one would buy anything anymore. They would just watch the ads. Uh, and that didn't happen. So we ended up releasing it to every user. It's interesting because one of my favorite applications, it's um, a spider solitaire game. It just happens to be very well made. It has ads in it, but it does not offer any way whatsoever for the ads to be removed. And I would love to pay for this and get rid of those ads. But I'm pretty sure that in their business model, all my mistaken taps is their business model because, you know, every now and then I hit the wrong part of the screen and it takes me over to Safari and shows me an ad. And between each game, you know, it wants to show me the ad. And fortunately, you know, each game goes on, you know, for a significant period of time. So I'm not really dealing with the between game ads, which are truly obnoxious that much. But it's a beautiful app that I wish I could own outright, but the ads are there and it kind of takes away from the experience and it's not an opt-in experience. And I am sure they are making a ton of money from me in a very passive way in terms of the mistaken taps or presenting me with the, I forget what they're called, but you know, the, the between scene advertisements where you finish one game and before you start the next game interstitial ads interstitial thank you that's the word i'm looking for i hate them uh, just generally hate them but i love the app so i haven't gotten rid of the app and the approach you're taking i just think is so beautifully respectful to the user compared to just placing apps where or placing the ads where, you know, the palms of your hands might accidentally brush against it. There's just something fundamentally wrong with that approach. And yet I still use the app. Yeah, they're tricking you into tapping ads. Um, and this model is not new. We, I, I think there are many apps that use it. And we got our inspiration from Crossy Road, the game. I think it's one of the first ones that did it, or maybe one of the first ones that I know of that did that. When you finish a game, sometimes a little button will appear that you can tap on and they will play you a video and you get points for watching the video and then you can get new characters with the points. But you only tap that button if you want to. They are not trying to force you into watching ads. They are not playing an ad between games, like the interstitial ads. So you you're, you finish your game and then the try again button appears in the middle of the screen and an ad pops up on top of it. Uh, they are not doing that. They do it in a tasteful way. And that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to do here. Now, your chibis are just adorable. So I can imagine that you have users who are, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers. 
is there any issue with giving them the option to access ads? A big thanks to Microsoft for sponsoring this episode of iFreaks to promote the App Center, a continuous integration, delivery, and feedback suite of cloud services for Swift and Objective-C apps. With App Center, you can automate your iOS and macOS development lifecycle, build, test, distribute, monitor, and push to ship five-star, high-quality apps faster and with confidence. Building a development pipeline in your iOS apps has always been a challenge, but with App Center, you can get started in minutes. Simply connect your GitHub and Bitbucket repos and build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. As a fully modular suite of services, you can pick and choose the service you need and connect it to the tools you already use. Sign up now on appcenter.ms and spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. We actually set up the our ad platform in a way that it only shows ads that are safe for all of the users of our app, like within our classification. So it will not show ads that are like not for not appropriate for the age group that that uses our app. And we manually removed some categories that we thought were not appropriate. So uh, we are safe in, in that way. Um, with in-app purchases, you also have to be careful. And we made especially sure that our implementation of the request a permission worked. Like when a child tries to purchase something, uh, a parent must approve it if you set up your family that way in iTunes. Mm -hmm. And we made sure that our implementation works very well with that. But we actually see that it's not very common for that to happen. Uh, we have stats and it's not very frequent. Um, what we, we saw recently, which kind of surprised us, is that we're seeing a, a bigger usage in education. Uh, we see some days of the week sometimes like it's pretty much once a week we'll see thousands of educational downloads of our mm -hmm. app and that means that some school somewhere has downloaded our app into all of their students devices uh, mostly ipads and we have been contacted on twitter by some teachers that uh, give assignments to their students where they use our app to recreate historical characters and like they use other apps to make their mouths move and speak things and, and that's really kind of cute and we that is charming yeah we we get very happy whenever we see it being used for education which we never thought about like we never thought it would be used in education so at all the technical conferences now, there are codes of conduct. It is one of the big things that keeps coming up as talking points. And whether you agree with these codes of conducts or not, they're a real thing in the developer community. Why have we not seen an ethical code of conduct adoption for in-app purchases and for making things family-friendly and for 
building ethical apps that don't take advantage of people. Why, why are we not seeing a pressure to develop this? That's a very good question. I never thought about it much, but maybe we could see Apple doing something in that area since they control the platform. I see some apps, sometimes I download apps for research just to see what they do and like to experience new apps, just browsing the App Store casually. And you see sometimes some apps that you ask yourself, how did this go through app review this way? They, there are some really nasty apps that do really like unethical stuff trying to make you tap on ads or tricking you into starting an in-app purchase flow and you only notice when the official Apple sheet pops up asking you to mm -hmm. authenticate. So I think that could be done, um, if not by the larger developer community, maybe by Apple themselves. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of the King games. Are you familiar with the King games like Candy Crush? Yeah. They are specifically designed so that it's theoretically possible to play them for free. But in practicality, they throw in certain levels, which are designed to say, if you want to keep playing this game, you are going to give us some money. Yeah, the play to win games. Um, yeah, they and they are specifically designed to make you like want to play more and more. So kind of addictive in a way and mm -hmm. that's not necessarily wrong because of course every game is going to be developed in a way that the person wants to keep playing it, it that's not necessarily a bad thing uh, even with our app we see sometimes session lengths of more than like 40 minutes and <laughs> we think to ourselves wow what what people are doing with uh, all, all of their time because mm -hmm. We designed the app to be like a short interaction, just like at most two minutes. And we see sometimes really long session lengths. So well, it is a creative app. And yeah. it doesn't surprise me that people spend time being creative and playing with it. And they, maybe they're doing it with somebody. And so they're having this entire design experience together. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see session lengths like that for your kind of app. Yeah, after I started trying to replicate uh, some characters, like if you watch a movie or a series and you want to replicate <laughs> a character. Yeah, do everybody on Supernatural, for example, yeah. or everybody, you know, on Sherlock or things like that. I, I mean, I can, I can see that with the session lens trying to pull you in. But what bothers me are the less ethical apps with the in-app purchases who do, you know, target the young the developmentally disabled or the, the the i guess you would call it the addictive personality and that i think that there are you know and i do hear quite a few stories about where these things can lead to people who put in hundreds of dollars into these games for essentially non-tangible things that don't improve their lives. Most of them use the consumable model. So you get like coins that mm -hmm. 
you pay real money for and you use them and then you have to buy them again. We mm -hmm. considered that model for, for Chibi Studio, but we decided that it would be, it will have that, that problem of being like, we didn't think it was fair to basically create an in-app currency that you'd have to buy with real money. Uh, mm -hmm. So we decided to go the non-consumable route. You just buy the items you want and that's it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I, I see how that can be a bad thing and we should definitely work to not do that to our apps and try to talk about this issue with our fellow developers and maybe... Because I think a movement of developing ethical apps would really take away a lot of the stigma associated with some of the things on the App Store, which I do think can and do take advantage of people. Yeah, you'll see some, some if you'll read the reviews for Chibi Studio, you'll see some users uh, complaining about in-app purchases in a way that if you actually use the app, you'll notice that they are not correct like some some review most of our reviews are really positive which is nice but some of them talk about it in a way that makes it sound like the app is one of those that tries everything to make you spend money but and, and that's probably a, a perception problem that that person is so used to this scammy in a purchase model that they see it everywhere if, if mm -hmm. they even if the app is not doing that they perceive it as as that because that's what they are used to seeing mm -hmm. now i sort of want to we've been on this topic for a little bit and you mentioned something earlier and i don't want to lose that train of thought which is that you mentioned that many of your users specifically are in india and china and other countries. So I wanted to come back to that and ask you, how do you internationalize? Do you internationalize the holidays? Do you internationalize languages? What steps do you take? That's very complicated. <laughs> internationalization is a huge topic. So initially, when we first released the app, our idea was, let's not make this an amateur app let's let's do it professionally so let's actually register a domain and make a nice icon and let's actually inter internationalize it so we have a chance of being featured by apple which was one of our goals at the beginning because when you release an app that uses a new apple technology if it's well made you have a big chance of being featured at least you have a bigger chance than usual. So when they released the iMessage, iMessage app, we decided to be there on day one. So if you want to have any chance of being featured by Apple, you have to have your app internationalized to at least some markets. You don't have to have it for every single language, but you have to have it to a few and we have it in English, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, French, Japanese, and Chinese. 
simplified. Mm -hmm. I think those are the, the languages. Uh, so the, there's one other thing that when you internationalize, every time you add a user visible piece of text to the interface, you have to remember that you need to translate it. And we did it with a service called OneSky, which mm -hmm. is a translation service. They do it specifically for apps. You send them your strings file and you select the languages and you can even ask them to add a, a reviewer to your package. So the translator will translate and another one will review the translation. So you get pretty good quality translations. Uh, Are you sure that you're getting native eyes, native eyes that will pick up on the subtleties of culture and nuance? Yes. So with OneSky, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while since we have used them, their service, because we haven't added anything that needed translation, um, they offer you two types of translators. You can have a native translator, professional one, or you can have a person that's not a professional native translator, which is cheaper, but we, we went for the professional and native translators. So, and when you send them the strings, their platform allows you to also include screenshots of the app showing where the strings are used in the interface. So the mm -hmm. translator has more context about what, what that means. And you also have to specify when something is like something that shouldn't be translated, like the word chibi that we specifically told translators that that shouldn't be translated, except in Japanese and Chinese, where we specified that it should be written with their specific characters, because mm -hmm. the, that's actually, if I'm not wrong, that's a Japanese word, so it wouldn't make sense to writing in Roman characters in, in Japan. And there's also the holiday stuff. We are currently only doing like holidays that are more global, like Christmas and Easter. And I know they are not really global, but like most of the world uh, respects, recognizes, those, recognizes the, the holidays. And even if you are in a country that doesn't care, you're just don't care so it's not a problem because you know right now is chinese new year right or yeah. actually by the time this airs probably chinese new year will have passed and with that kind of market that huge market it's it's something which certainly you considered wouldn't you have um trying to address you know a major major holiday like that Yes, we thought about it. We are not we don't have a Chinese holiday pack yet because of time constraints, but we're mm -hmm. going to to have that for next year probably. Uh currently I think the only country specific holiday that we have is 4th of July and we have a technique in the app where when we install packs, they have a little script that needs to be run to evaluate whether the pack should be shown or not. And mm -hmm. for the 4th of July one, we only show it if your region on your iPhone settings is set to the US. 
So what do you do with Halloween? Because I know that Halloween has a much broader reach than, you know, it used to. Halloween, we do it for every country. We don't uh, select countries. I'm sure some countries probably don't really care about it, but I don't mm -hmm. think it's an issue to have it in there. And Halloween is not seasonal, so it's available. It's a, a premium one, so anyone mm -hmm. can buy it. Nice. So um, we're kind of running short on time. Um, can you just quickly tell us a few lessons that you've learned about keeping, you know, the app small and being able to so be sold over the air? Any of the, you know, tick tricks and tips of the trade just, you know, to make it more sellable? Well, technically, I always try to have as few dependencies as possible with apps. The initial development of Chibi Studio was really crazy because if you remember, it was right between Swift 2 and Swift 3. Oh, no. So it was a <laughs> nightmare. I would install it in, and I had to use X, the beta version of Xcode because I was using APIs that were only available on, on iOS 10. Mm -hmm. And it was a nightmare because I would download a new beta of Xcode and something that was working last week wouldn't work anymore because the syntax had changed somehow. So I would go and change it and it would work again and I would work for a week. And then next week, another beta would come out and the thing that I changed last week would go back to being what it was before. So I would have to undo those changes. Uh, I think this is a trauma that everybody who tried developing in Swift went through. And I was fortunate in that I did not, all my stuff was in Objective-C at the time. I, I had just felt it was too high risk to be in Swift at the time, but I was writing about Swift. So I, I did encounter that in non-application um, situations. And oh my gosh, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really painful. But if you ask me, if you went back, would you do it again? And I would probably do it again because I have the app all in Swift now and I'm in Swift 4 and it's fine now. Uh, the migration from 3 to 4 was painless. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the initial development was pretty crazy. And um, one goal that I had was to try and make the app the like not be really server side dependent i didn't want to have to run a server and be a systems administrator to have the app up and i wanted people to be able to use it even when they don't have an internet connection so that was a, a huge goal and that means that all of the packs have to be shipped with the app bundle when you purchase something, that thing you purchase is already on your device. So we just unlock it. We don't have to download anything. We do have a server running with a custom analytics thing I wrote because we wanted to have a very, very specialized analytics thing for 
how the items are being used, how much each item is being used, so we, we know what people like and what they don't like. Um, and it's, of course, all anonymous, and we don't send any personal data to the analytics service. And Good, and thank you. Yeah, and that's written in Swift. It's a and vapor have app. you learned anything about how people do this? And has that guided you in terms of your business plan? Yeah, so one thing we learned is that you can't rely on like all your users having a one behavior because people are different. So we have several types of users and some of them are just the type of person that really likes the app and they just buy the in-app purchase that unlocks everything they don't, they, and they don't want to hear from us anymore. They just want to use the app and that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, some people like inexpensive things so and those are the main categories of people using the app they we have like our top sellers in terms of in-app purchases are the cheapest one the the most inexpensive pack we have which i think is the anime pack which is 99 cents and uh, I'm not sure if it's the second or if it's the first one, but it's our most expensive in-app purchase, which is the one that unlocks everything forever, which is $19.99. So mm -hmm. you can see that most users are either looking for a really great, fully unlocked experience or they are looking at getting something cool for, for cheap or nothing. Am I right that the educational purchases were the big ones? Not really, because that's actually very interesting. Because the educational organizations, they don't really purchase anything. They, they only use the free part of the app. Okay. So I'm, I'm not sure, but I think if we offered... If the app was paid up front, maybe we wouldn't have those educational downloads because they they wouldn't be able to try the app before purchasing. And I think they don't purchase because, not necessarily because they don't want to, but because as far as I'm aware of, there's not a volume purchase deal for educational organizations for in-app purchases. It's only for paid up front apps mm -hmm. so that's why we don't have actual purchases from educational organizations but it's it's nice to see that they are using the app and of course if lots of kids are using the app in schools they end up talking about it with friends and we get some downloads out of word of mouth i know that my daughter is going to love this because i'm downloading it myself in a few minutes i'm going <laughs> but, to send you a promo code oh you're so sweet thank you anyway so we're sort of having um some time here so let's wrap this up what are three lessons you've learned from developing um chibi studio that would be of use to other developers i'd say keep it simple and that is the part about don't rely on 
services, servers don't rely on too much third-party stuff. So let's keep it simple. Worry about marketing. You have to think about that. And we haven't really talked about that much, but there are tons of resources online about thinking about marketing. And, and we did do a great podcast, um, episode 229 on marketing, and that was the Flawless app, right? Yeah, that was an awesome episode. And the third lesson would be to always be thinking ahead. So you have to think about what's happening in the next three months that you need to worry about. And that includes everything. In our case, it includes holidays that we should worry about, big events like this year we have the World Cup. So that's something we need to be looking for. Uh, mm -hmm. So if, if you have an app that has anything to do with big events or holidays, you have to always keep looking ahead and planning for that. Think about where Apple is going and where Apple wants you to go because mm -hmm. Apple is, we can't understate the importance of Apple for Apple developers because <laughs> we sell on their platform and they control it. So you have to keep an eye out for what they are doing and rules that, that are changing and what's being successful and why it's being successful and what, especially on WWDC, Apple basically says what, which apps they want you to make when you watch WWDC sessions. So keep an eye out for that. Those are really great points. So it's that time of the episode where we do picks. Do you have a pick this week? Want to automatically build, test, and release your iOS and macOS apps? Try App Center. Connect your repo within minutes, build in the cloud, test on thousands of real iOS devices, distribute to beta testers and Apple's App Store, and monitor real-world usage with crash and analytics data. Spend less time managing your app lifecycle and more time coding. Visit appcenter.ms and get started for free. Yes, this pick is pretty obvious. I'm going to pick HomePod. Oh, HomePod. Yeah. Great pick. I have I I I haven't purchased one yet. Um maybe I will. It's not available here, but from my friends that have it, it seems to be exactly what Apple told it would be. So, if you're into really great music and listening to podcasts in your house, that that's probably the device for you and if you're worried about privacy and all of the stuff that apple provides so consider homepod and i'm considering it definitely and my pick for the week is farscape it's a tv show that aired what a couple of decades ago now but i've just sort of rediscovered some of my old dvds and am really enjoying it it's a terrific show and if you haven't watched it before you might want to look into it if you you like science fiction. Interesting. And I, since I've never hosted before, uh, I just wrap up now, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I want to thank everybody who has uh, tuned in for this episode of iFreaks. And uh, thank you for listening. And we look forward to bringing you more developer information and discussions about related technologies. And thank you so much for being part of our audience. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs>